the Future of Energy podcast from National Grid ESO. Conversations on themes from Future Energy Scenarios 2021. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Future of Energy podcast series from National Grid ESO. I'm Samantha Simmons. The number of electric vehicles on our roads is increasing, with the UK government ending the sale of new petrol and diesel cars by 2030. So today I'm talking with experts from National Grid ESO, Marcus Stewart and Sagar Dapala to discuss how Great Britain's electricity system is changing to accommodate more electric vehicles, what it means for consumers and how it could help us meet net zero. Marcus and Sagar, welcome to the Future of Energy podcast. Hello, thank you. Hi, Samantha. Hi to you both. Marcus, if I could start with you first. So what is the benefit of owning an electric vehicle? Well, where to start, really? Electric vehicles are good for the environment. They produce much lower emissions than petrol diesel cars. They're quiet. They're nice to drive. And when you actually own one, they're even cheaper to run than a normal petrol diesel car as well. So there's lots of benefits, really. And Sagar, what about you? I'm a petrol head. I'm a convert to electric vehicles. I own a motorcycle, petrol powered. I love it. But about 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to race electric vehicles and it was mind blowing. From a driver's point of view, you've got instant torque the moment you start rolling. That's the push in force that gives you that really responsive feel when you're driving. From an engineer's point of view, from an owner's point of view, it was so much more simple to build that car than the petrol powered car we had next to it. And that translates to simpler maintenance and simpler ownership for people. How do electric vehicles help decarbonise transport? Well, we've got 47 years of oil left. Road transport accounts for about 23% of all of our greenhouse gas emissions in the UK at the moment and is about 30% of total energy demand. And electric vehicles actually, while they increase demand slightly on the electricity system, they also help to solve problems like what to do with an electricity supply that comes from weather dependent sources like renewables. An increase of electric vehicles on the system act as a really, really big battery. Let us use electricity when we have more of it to use and they help supply electricity back into the system when we need it. So all in all, they help the whole energy system run more efficiently and with less carbon. If I can jump in there, I think an electric vehicle is essentially a battery on wheels. When the sun's shining or the wind's blowing, it can absorb energy and take that and you can use that for transport. You know, in some situations, you could provide that energy back to the grid when, you know, it's dark or it's not windy. It presents an opportunity and you look at the future energy scenarios, you can see how electric vehicles are playing a part in the electricity system and become integral to the future electricity system that we expect to see. That's a great opportunity because electric vehicles don't just decarbonise transport and lower emissions at the tailpipe for travel. Being plugged into the electricity system helps that balance and helps the electricity system decarbonise as well and allows the electricity system to use more of the available renewable energy than it would otherwise use. So can you just explain what is smart charging and what is vehicle to grid charging? Smart charging is when you plug your car in and instead of it taking the charge straight away, it actually charges at a time that's more convenient for either you or for the grid. So when maybe the price is lower or the grid is greener, And you can do that through setting a timer on your car or maybe your car receiving a signal from your supplier telling you it's a good time to charge. And that avoids putting stress on the system. Vehicle to grid is taking it one step further. So your car will charge smartly, but also vehicle to grid allows the charge to put energy back into the grid. So when the system 
is under stress and it's high demand or low supply, your car can be providing energy back into the grid and you'll be getting paid for it. So that will ultimately reduce your overall costs and reduce your bill or you'll get a payment. What does smart charging and vehicle to grid charging actually mean for the consumer? Okay, so I own an electric vehicle at the moment. I have a very simple time of use tariff. I get charged less for four hours overnight, considerably less than I would do in a day. So I plug my car in when I get home from work and I just set it to charge between 2 and 6 a.m. And it will charge at a quarter of the cost it would do if it was charging in the daytime or over peak. And that allows the consumer to really reap the benefit of getting cheaper priced electricity when the system can provide it. Vehicle to grid is kind of the next stage on. Um, Not only taking energy when it's cheap, if the price of electricity is really high, there's an opportunity for the car to send that energy back into the grid or back into the house and use that energy at that time rather than taking from the grid. And that can either be a saving for the consumer or the consumer or the driver could get paid for that energy by a supplier. So that's what we expect to see in the future. And there's already there's a number of energy suppliers who are offering tariffs and the technology to allow that to happen. So as I've said before, the electric vehicle is becoming very integrated into the electricity system and there's you know, these great opportunities for the driver to reap that benefit. Saga? When you combine smart charging and vehicle to grid, you can actually reduce that peak demand on that, on that cold winter's evening by about a third to a quarter. It's another really good example of how having electric vehicles on the grid gives us a lot more flexibility on the system. It's not just the supplier that needs to help with smart charging. It can be done through an app, by smart chargers, or, you know, the car itself. But either way, it's something we think that the consumer won't have to do actively, something that will happen in the background and for the customer. We were talking a lot about electric vehicles the average consumer might own, like the electric car on your driveway. But you've also got large fleets of electric vans, electric taxis, electric buses, etc. They're big groups of vehicles that operate you know, in certain time windows. So tell me about how consumers will charge their electric vehicles. And what about those who can't charge at home? Marcus? Currently, around 75% of electric vehicles are charged at home. But we know that's not going to be there for the long term. You know, there are people who don't have the facility to charge at home. They don't have driveways. They might not have off-street parking. So there are other places you can charge. We call them destination charging places, such as supermarkets, cinemas, where you can plug in and go and do your shopping and watch your film, be there for an hour, a couple of hours or so, and get a top up your vehicle. But also there's on-route charging as well. So if you're traveling on a journey up the A roads, on the motorway, there's rapid charging places there where you can plug in and maybe get a, you know, 80% charge in 25, 30 minutes or something like that, where you're grabbing a coffee, getting a sandwich, going to the toilet. There's lots of options really. And we're increasingly seeing much more deployment of these public charge points, both the destination and rapid, and we see that to continue. So in terms of a driver, you know, you can be assured that there's options out there for you. Great. Yeah. And as Marcus says, yeah, there's absolutely this boom in charge points and National Grid's proposed that the you know optimum locations for charge points mean that nobody on the big road network, motorways and dual carriageways is more than 50 driven miles away from ultra rapid charging. We're talking 20, 30 minute battery charge, which is the average length of stay at a motorway service station after a you know roughly one and a half hour drive. So there's a little bit of behavior change when we're talking about charging on a long drive, but not massively. One of the really important things that we will need are changes to the wholesale and retail electricity markets. 
they need to be more cost effective for all consumers and we need to make sure that when we're changing this stuff we don't leave people behind some people will be able to respond to changes in electricity prices better than others we need to make sure the market changes so that everyone's taken along on that journey and everyone has access to the good prices that can come with time of use tariffs so do you think there'll be enough electricity on the system to actually cope with everyone potentially charging at the same time so short answer to this is yes the electricity system is is always evolving and we design and operate our transmission system to cope with peak electricity demands with a little bit of leeway and, and that is 5 to 6 p.m on a winter's evening we expect some people will charge their vehicles at that time but if we look at vehicles plugged in overnight the demand only needs to be for 20 to 25 percent of the time it needs to be plugged in that means we can spread when people are charging their vehicles over the you know amount of time that people have their vehicles parked and sitting still there needs to be some financial incentives for people to move to smart or vehicle to grid charging uh, and that's where time of use tariffs come in but essentially with the right supporting technology we're confident this won't be a big addition to our peak demand yeah i think the key thing in is here not everybody's going to turn up the electric vehicle tomorrow and plug into the system and we as national grid esa we plan for this yeah, we use the energy scenarios to look out the future and identify what those future lows can be. And then we work with government and industry to ensure there's enough generation capacity to meet those peaks. And we plan that and we have an obligation through our role as the EMI delivery body to do that work. So yeah, we're planning, we're using the scenarios and we're ensuring that there is enough capacity available to meet that electric vehicle demand and other new demands we expect to see on a system such as heat as well. Our job is to prepare the energy system for electric vehicles and that's what we're doing. And how do you think consumers feel about electric vehicles and what could be done to encourage more uptake? I still think consumers and drivers are, are sceptical about them. It is a leap into the unknown. One of the things that people always ask me about mine is what range does it do? You know, how many miles can you get on it? And is that fixation with range anxiety? The reality is once you drive one, you'll realize what a nice experience it is and you won't want to go back to a petrol or diesel. You know, the growth in charge points and charging infrastructure that we're seeing at the moment and that we expect to continue, people will be able to see electric vehicles as a real positive proposition and will want to get into them. The challenge is, I think, getting people to get them over the line, get them into them, and actually experience it and trust the charging infrastructure at the moment. And I think that feels to me like the main barrier. But you know, once you try, you'll want to buy. Sega? I think the main thing is just reassuring people that we're talking about minimal behaviour change here. There will be a little bit, but by and large, driving habits won't change a lot. When we're on the motorway, we already drive for about between an hour and a half and two hours and then take a 20, 30 minute break. Heavy goods vehicles are already used to being time limited on their daily driving and batteries today have warranties that last the life of the vehicle with some uses, you know, after the vehicle's been taken off the road, like battery storage inside a house. Once people are comfortable with that, I think we will see a lot easier take up. We've just got to make sure that people in every part of society can come on the journey with us. Not just talking about cities, we're talking about low income households and people who live in rural areas as well. And do you think it's more important for some areas of the country to drive electric vehicles than other parts? So it's almost the opposite. To reach net zero, ultimately, we all need to switch to zero carbon transport all over Great Britain. 
urban areas have been a focus to date because of the impacts on air quality in, in urban areas particularly. It's easier for urban consumers to switch to low carbon public transport. And fundamentally, you know, the business model for charge points improves with higher utilization. However, it's imperative that the charging network in future is fairly distributed all over the country as put forward in the uh, National Infrastructure Assessment. Yeah, I think I'd add to that. Yes, yeah, certainly all petrol and diesel vehicles need to be replaced by electric or other zero carbon vehicles to meet our targets and, and improve air quality. I think there are probably different challenges between urban and rural take up. And one of them is access to charging infrastructure. And I think there are challenges in more rural areas because the economics for a charge point operator may not be there. And therefore, more support will be needed from local authorities and the government to help fund that. But fundamentally, you know, we all need to go electric. Yeah, and we have seen a drop in the efficiency of electric vehicles in your scenarios. So what's driven this and what can we do to ensure that we continue to improve efficiency of our vehicles, Sagar? So our understanding of efficiency is improving all the time. We're getting more and more data, real world data available to us, and there's more of an understanding of it in the industry generally. We're also moving more to consider the whole fleet efficiency. We're talking about all the cars on the road, not, not just small groups. A gasoline or internal combustion engine works with about 11 to 35 percent efficiency all the way from when we get the oil out the ground to when we use it in our cars. For electric vehicles, that jumps to about 40 to 70 percent. Consumers can do a lot to improve the efficiency of cars on the road as a whole. And the main thing we can all do is to purchase vehicles which are the right size for our requirements. For many people, that means buying smaller cars. So an SUV, whether it's petrol powered, diesel powered or electric, is about 10 to 20 percent less efficient than a small hatchback. We can also make sure we increase the occupancy in cars. So a lot of cars drive around with only one person in them. That might mean hiring larger cars when we actually need them for holidays, etc. and sticking to smaller cars when we don't. When we look further into the future, we see more and more uptake of something called mobility as a service. That may mean not buying and owning your own car, but getting access to one when you need one. Yeah, I think our analysis has grown over time. I kind of think of it quite simply, really, you know, an electric vehicle is probably three to four times more efficient than a petrol diesel car. And, you know, with our analysis, we've been refining it with new data. We've been capturing the trend for people driving bigger cars and that affects the overall efficiency and to that end you know we've made those adjustments in our analysis because we've got better data and then we can better reflect how that's going to impact on the energy system and ensure that the modeling that we do allows us to maintain a good level of security supply on the system because we're getting good data into it really and, and I think it's still part of the process of refining and updating as we go along. And how many electric vehicles do you think we can expect to see on the road in the next, say, 5, 10, 50 years time? And do you think there's enough infrastructure to support them? So by 2025, we expect to see between 2 and 4 million vehicles with a plug on the road. So that's cars and vans. By 2030, this could grow to 16 million. And by 2040, this could be between 30 and 38 million. So you know, we're expecting quite an increase over that time period. And ultimately, by 2040, we'd expect all vehicles to be electric. And that requires infrastructure build, both at a local level, charge points, local network infrastructure, transmission infrastructure, and also the generation infrastructure, such as new wind, new interconnectors, and other forms of generation to help meet that demand. It is getting built, it is being planned. You've seen the energy white paper with 40 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030. This is to help meet 
this growing demand for electrification and you know there's a lot to do there's a lot of infrastructure to be built and we've highlighted that as one of our key messages in fez around the need for infrastructure to be built to deliver this i guess as a nation we're waking up to this we're having a plan and in an exciting time to get this new infrastructure and this capability delivered saga yeah i just couldn't have answered it any better really i just really really wanted to thank anyone who's listening to this because we talked about how important it is for people to be aware of what owning an electric vehicle means and that means listening to things like this it means going out asking questions and finding the answers so if you're listening to this you're already doing something really really helpful for us so thank you marcus and sagar thanks so much for joining us today it's been fascinating listening to your thoughts on electric vehicles and thanks to you very much for listening to today's episode there will be another future of energy podcast very soon In the meantime, for more information on our future energy scenarios, head to our website, nationalgrideso.com. Bye for now.